Hi, Journey. How's it going? Right on. It's great to be with you. Uh, shout out to the Bobcats yesterday. How about that? Woo! How about that new stadium? Wow. Uh, I did the chapel yesterday morning for the UC Davis team, uh, the players and the coaches, and uh, the thrust of my message was, blessed are the meek. (laughs) It's not what I talked to them about. They might not invite me back, though. My name is Brian. I get the honor and the privilege of being one of the pastors of this community called Journey Church. And if you're our guest today, maybe you're here for your very first time, we're honored and privileged to have you here with us today. And we've been praying. I want you to know that we've been praying expectantly that God would show up and that today would be spiritually enriching for you, whatever that looks like for you, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, on the spiritual continuum. And you probably know that we're kicking off this new message series today, a series that we're calling Famous Last Words. And it's a journey into the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, yes. And I'm indebted to a guy named Eugene Peterson for some work that he's done to illuminate the Revelation in some fascinating new light, especially uh, for me. And if we were to be really honest, we would have to say that last words, they really intrigue us, don't they? Last words, they sort of capture us, especially the last things that people say as they finish this life here on earth. It sort of causes us to sit up in our seats and pay really close attention. It's in part because we're morbidly curious, aren't we? We're morbidly curious. We wonder what profundity will come as someone passes from this life to the next life. Consider these famous last words. Don't let it in like this. Tell them I said something, said Pancho Villa. Those are his last words. Tell them I said something. That's a guy who's concerned about his legacy, right? Like, come on. How about this one? Blackjack Ketchum, notorious train robber. He said, I'll be in hell before you start breakfast. He's pretty certain of his destination, wasn't he? Voltaire, when asked by a priest to renounce Satan on his deathbed, his last words were this. Now, now, my good man, this is no time for making enemies. Karl Marx, when asked by his housekeeper what his last words were, get out! Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Marco Polo, you know, traveler, writer, explorer, extraordinaire. I have not told half of what I saw. I've not told half of what I saw. Check this out. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance, said General John Sedgwick, Union commander in the U.S. Civil War, who was struck by a bullet a few moments after saying those words. (laughs) It's not funny. Joan Crawford, her housekeeper came in as Joan was laying on her deathbed and her housekeeper began to actually pray aloud and Crawford uttered an expletive. I'm not gonna tell you which one. You can just make one up in your head. You know what that is, right? Just make one up in your head. And she said, don't you dare ask God to help me. And she died, her last words. See if you recognize these last words. I don't have the passion anymore. And so remember, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Peace, love, empathy, signed, Kurt Cobain, lead singer for the grunge band Nirvana. He wrote those words in his suicide note. General William Erskine, after he jumped out of a window somewhere in Europe, right before he died, said, now why did I do that? Pope John Paul II, let me go to the father's house. And then Mother Teresa, do you know what she said on her deathbed, her last words? Mother Teresa's last words, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. And some of those are like, whoa, right? Whoa. 
But as great as those are, as great as those last words are, arguably the most famous last words ever spoken or written are the final book of the Bible, the Revelation, as it's called. But most famous doesn't necessarily mean most admired or best understood, does it? How many of us, for example, have been left dazed and confused by those followers of Jesus who sort of like pushy guides at a tourist trap try to get us to hire them to tell us about the furniture of heaven and the temperature of hell, the number of the beast, and the calendar, a timeline of doomsday through the lens of the revelation. How many of us have had that kind of experience? But you see, it's none of that stuff that makes revelation the most famous last words of all time. It isn't it. What is, however, enough to catapult Revelation to the top of the most famous last words list is this book's incredible ability to succinctly summarize centuries of insight, counsel, and experience for those who have chosen to live or who are working toward living by faith in God. In a powerful way, it does just that, which is why we're forging into the book. Now, I'm gonna say right up front that you're probably going to be disappointed by the way we're going to treat the series on the book of Revelation. Many of you are hoping, you're expecting, some of you are even praying that I will talk about the, quote, unknowable nuance of the book. Stuff like, what do the numbers mean? Who in the world is that? What nation is that? When's that going to happen? Give me a day, Brian, please. Did that already happen? But I can't talk about unknowable nuance. Why? Because it is just that unknowable nuance and I don't know the answer to a whole bunch of the questions and there's about a thousand different views on the answer to those questions and so I'm not going to pretend like we've got it all figured out some of this stuff is going to live in tension and we're okay with that what I do however know is that the author of the book of Revelation this guy by the name of the apostle John he left his fingerprints all over the book of Revelation which means that in order for us to understand Revelation, we need to understand something about the author, something about this man, the Apostle John. And I want to start into John's fingerprints by saying this. The power of Revelation to really capture our attention, making God and the life of faith in him coherent, really boils up out of this very intriguing convergence of the three ministries of the Apostle John. Because in John, in one person, and this is spectacular to me, in one person we see John play the role of theologian, poet, and pastor. And he weaves all three of those roles together such that the result is this beautiful, amazing, inspiring, challenging, confusing book of Revelation. The very introductory words of the book set the stage, Revelation 1, 9 to 12. If you've got a text, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen above me as well. Revelation 1, 9 to 12. Here's what the Bible says. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. Whoa. Has that ever happened to you? That's amazing. And it said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
And I remember I was a little guy and I was like really little guy and I don't know what in the world I was doing reading the book of Revelation trying to freak myself out or something. And I remember running across this vividly, Philadelphia. And I ran to my mom and dad. I said, look, it's talking about Philadelphia. And they were like, not Pennsylvania, Brian. No. I was so bummed. I thought I'd found something nobody had ever seen before. And when I turned to see who was speaking, check this out. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. I turned to see who was speaking to me, and I saw seven gold lampstands. Oh. So here's John. He's on the prison island of Patmos. It is an island dedicated to the keeping of prisoners. And he's writing from this horrible place, Patmos. Now, why is he there? What in the world is he doing there? Well, he tells us in this opening text. Why is he there? For preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. So you could say that it was the word of God that put John where he was as well it was the word of God who made John who he was. It put him where he was. It made him who he was. Now John doesn't identify himself by his circumstances He doesn't carry on about this fact that he's a prisoner. He rather identifies himself by his role. I'm a theologian. I'm one who studies and tells the story of God. And I gotta be honest, if this was me writing this book from the prison island of Patmos, I'd be going like, I am on this God-forsaken island because the Roman government, they are a bunch of no good so-and-so, so-and-so, right? That's what I'd be doing. Some of you might be doing the same thing, but not John. Instead, he says, I'm here because of God's word. I'm here because of my testimony, the telling of my story about what Jesus has done in me. That's what theologians do. That's who theologians are. We see John is a theologian. And then John makes us aware that he's commanded by God. He's under direct inspiration from God to write down what he saw. There it is right there. Write down what you see. The result of which is this book that really, when we step back, it recreates in us and for us what exactly John himself was experiencing. That's what poets do. That's what poetry does. You read great poetry and it just sucks us in and it's like we're there. And John does does that in the revelation for us. We see John's a poet. He's a theologian. theologian. He's a poet. And last but not least, John says... I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering. Your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. And you know what those are the words of? Those are the words of a pastor. Those are the words of a pastor. John shares in everything. He shares in the hardship, the blessings, the day-by-day transformation of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what pastoring is. That's what it's all about. John's a pastor. And so you see these three roles, theologian, poet, and pastor, they impressively, impressively converge in the person of John. And it's part of what makes Revelation so brilliant, so stunning, so useful. It's theology Thick theology, the story of God. It's poetry recreating inside of us just what John experienced. And it is very pastoral. 
And for the book of Revelation to be pastoral, it requires that John weave his theology and his poetry into the context of a community of people who live by faith in God, just like we do. The things that John talks about and the way he talks about them all throughout the Revelation take place in the midst of a community of people who dare to live by the grace of God, just like we do. They take place in the context of a community of people who have received the forgiveness of God, like I hope every single one of us has. They take place in the context of a community of people who believe the promises of God. We stake our very lives and eternities on the promises of God, like we do. They take place in the midst of a community of people who pray, like I hope and pray we pray. Because you see, we who are people of faith in God, we're people who intentionally choose to live daily and dangerously by our faith in God, aren't we? We choose the grace of God over trying to earn our way to him because we know we can't ever do that. Never will we be able to do that. We choose hope rather than despair. We decide, look, life is all about love. It is not about hate. And we who live by faith in God at least this guy right here, and maybe you'd identify, we're tempted to quit sometimes, aren't we? Ever tempted to quit faith in God? Ever tempted to just give it all up and throw in the towel and just say, enough! But John comes alongside in the Revelation, and he says, no, don't quit. Just let me show you. Just let me pastor you let me walk with you through this unfolding saga called the revelation and we need john to pastor us through the revelation just like we all need people to pastor us through this life don't we we all need people to pastor us through this life and we who are people of faith need to be pastored because we're what i like to call middle people you could write that down we're middle people here's what i mean by that We believe with everything in us that God is and was at the beginning of all things, right? Over there. He was in the beginning of all things. We go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book called Genesis. And Genesis is a book all about origins, all about beginnings. And Genesis starts out talking about how God created the heavens and the earth. And then he created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, And then you place them into this beautiful garden called Eden, and it was perfect, gorgeous. And we read Genesis, and we know that in Eden, it had rivers running through it. It was a lush, incredibly lush place. And God gave Adam and Eve the most meaningful work in Eden that you could possibly imagine. They partnered with God in the stewarding of this world that he had placed them in. Incredibly meaningful work. And there was peace and joy and harmony between God and all of his creation, including Adam and Eve. And in Eden, in the middle of all this lushness, there's this tree, this tree. And it's a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know the story. And the tree was all about this truth that God so respects his creation that he permits us to choose how we're going to live. God gives us the freedom to live however we want to. You know that, don't you? He gives us the freedom to live however we want to live. We can live his way. We can live the way that he created us, designed us to live, or we can make up our own rules and we can live however we want to live. Because our God, he's a gentleman. He never ever forces himself upon anybody. And so 
it becomes your choice. It is your choice. It's our choice. And God steps back from all of his creation. What's he say in Genesis 1.31? Here it is. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was what? Very good. And so that's how the story begins. And then fast forward to the very end of the Bible, if you will, this book called The Revelation, and it tells us how everything ends. And at the very end of the Bible, as God is telling us how everything ends, he says, I'm making everything new. That's a heck of a strange kind of ending, isn't it? I'm making everything new. At the end of all things, God tells us that he creates this new heaven and new earth. And near the very end of the revelation, we're given this fantastic detail of what that new heaven and new earth are sort of going to be like. There's going to be rivers running through. Sound familiar? This lushness is there again. Nations are going to be healed. That sounds familiar. It means we're all going to get along. We're going to have meaningful work. Does that sound at all familiar? We're going to be actively participating with God and stewarding this world that we find ourselves in. There's going to be peace with each other, peace with God. Does that sound familiar? And guess what? In the middle of that new heaven and new earth, in the middle of all of that, there's going to be another tree. There's going to be more trees. And it's going to be so good. Revelation 22.2. I put it on your notes page wrong. My bad. Not 21.2. 22.2. Here's what the Bible says. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. Another tree. Tree at the beginning. Tree. Couple of trees at the end and the theologian and the poet and the pastor John he says look God is at the beginning of all things and God is at the end of all things and he records it this way in Revelation 1.8 I am the Alpha and the Omega I am the beginning and I am the end says the Lord God I am the one who is who always was who is still to come the Almighty One and so there's God in the beginning and at the ending And there's a tree at the beginning, there's a tree at the end, and we're middle people. You know what that means? We find ourselves living in the middle between the trees. We're middle people. And with God at the beginning where it was really good, and with God at the end where it's again going to be really good, we tend to think then that there is somehow this guarantee that everything between the trees, between the good beginning and the good ending will be, well, what? good that's what we expect but it never quite turns out that way does it at least it doesn't turn out to be good in the way that we'd hope that it would be good and that's always somehow some sort of surprise to us isn't it because in the middle of the trees we expect uninterrupted goodness but the goodness we expect gets interrupted the middle gets ugly Life in between the trees gets real, real ugly. You get the call from the doctor that says, you know those spots that have been on your face and your arms and your neck, you know, your forehead and such? They've been nothing, but they're not nothing anymore. They're cancer now. And the treatment is going to be gnarly and, well, it's going to be ugly. And you see, all of a sudden, just like that, Ugliness rears its ugly head. Your parents reject you. Some government coerces you. Your spouse 
steps out on you. Society discriminates against you. A careless somebody injures you. One beautiful September Tuesday morning, terrorists hijacked planes loaded with people and steered them like missiles into buildings full of people. forget that. We won't ever forget the ugliness here in the middle of the trees. Because frankly, it's ugly being middle people. And the ugliness that was 9-11 and the ugliness that is so much of this life leaves us wondering, is this world between the trees really supposed to be like this? Is life in the middle of the trees supposed to be so incredibly out of whack? All of this ugliness in the midst of a life that its very creation was good and at its conclusion will also be good. Is it supposed to be like this? Is there supposed to be the disappointment, the contradiction, the absurdity, the paradox? Is there supposed to be this reversal of our expectation of goodness? And Pastor John, the writer of the Revelation, he does this fantastic, beautiful thing. It's the same thing that any of the pastors of this church attempt to do with you. It's the same thing that you, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, are to be endeavoring to do with all of the people in your world. He accompanies us through the middle of the trees. He puts his arm around us, and he accompanies us through the middle of the trees. He helps us face the ugly details of life in the middle. He helps us make sense of what seems like meaningless routine. He helps us see that this unaccountably ugly middle is forever and always connected to a wonderfully glorious beginning and an ending that exceeds our wildest expectations. Beauty beyond beauty. And see, church, it is all of our responsibility to reinforce that sense of connection in the midst of this often ugly life in the middle of the trees. John does it with us through the revelation. And because you are all, I'll say it again, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are pastors. It is your role to do that very thing with every single person in your world. Life between the trees is chaotic It's ugly, it's confusing, it's evil, often cursed, it is conflicted, absolutely. And we are headed toward this stunningly beautiful ending that will blow the doors off of whatever good that you can possibly conjure up in your imagination. We're not just headed to some random end somewhere. We're not just gonna step off the bus at any old stop and just call it good. Our son Dylan, he is quite a Dylan. That's what I say about Dylan. 
Dylan is quite a Dylan. That's about all I can say about him. He's in second grade now. Our kids, they ride the bus to and from school. The bus stop is right out in front, like almost literally right in front of our house. But many days, Dylan will just choose a random stop at the end of the day and get off of the bus there. Now, he's at least smart enough to know that he should do that within our neighborhood. But it's a big neighborhood. And he could get off the bus a long way, and he does get off the bus a long way from our house, blocks away from his proper rightful stop. He just decides that he wants to get off the bus with this cute girl. (laughs) Or he wants to get off the bus with this buddy because he really likes him. He just met him, but he's really cool. And Well, you're getting off, so I'm getting off of this bus. And so all the other kids, they come filing home, and I'm like, where's Dylan? Where's Dylan? Oh, they say, he was still on on the bus. Still on the bus? Is he going to like ride back to the bus barn? Is somebody going to notice it? Or they'll say, nah, he got off a few stops ago. And then in Dylan fashion, he'll just come sort of sauntering home. Hi, Dad. Hey, Dylan. Just a random stop. I'll just get off. But get this, Christians, the life of faith in God doesn't just end at some random bus stop along some random road. It's not about an ending, see, as much as it's all about the goal that God has in mind for you and for me. An ending that is purposed, an ending that is fulfilled, an ending that God says, it's good, very, very good. Lots of us know that the revelation is concerned with eschatology, You know that word? Eschatology. That's the study of last things. And scholars and theologians for centuries have been filling volumes with all the nuance related to the study of last things. But what the theologians and the scholars often overlook, it's the thing that Pastor John, the author of the Revelation, calls us back to again and again. It's actually the thing that God asks you and me to do in the lives of all the people around us every single day. And it's this. It is to reveal for them every single person around us, how the ending impinges, and I know that's a big word, but it's a word that means interferes or strikes, how the ending impinges on the present in such a way that we see the gospel breaking in and breaking through into the ugliness that is life between the trees. That's our job, church. That is our job. John does it all throughout the Revelation And we're to be doing it every single moment of every single day. It isn't just paid pastors' jobs to proclaim the gospel. It is all of our job every single day to validate for the watching world that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross to take your sin, your shame, your despair, your hopelessness, to lift all of that off of your shoulders, to deposit all of it upon himself, take it to hell for you, rise from the dead for you and then make us new setting you and me on a whole new course of life that is to be all about multiplying his life and his hope into the lives of other people in the middle of the trees our charge church is to show people that the gospel of Jesus Christ it's about right now it is all about right now now and lots and lots of people they read the revelation 
and they get all excited or they get all scared or they get all confused about what's going to happen someday. What's God going to do someday? We think about someday Jesus is going to come back and he's going to finally fix this place and some great things are going to happen someday. And lots and lots of people subscribe to this view of the revelation. It's all about wishing for and waiting for, maybe even a little bit of freaking out for and about that day, that someday. We even put it into some of our songs. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away someday. But today I'm just here. Today I'm just here wishing and waiting Wishing that it would be today. Is it now? Is it tomorrow? Did I miss it? Was it yesterday? Have I been left behind? But wishing for and waiting for and freaking out are nowhere near Pastor John's radar screen as he pins the revelation. It isn't what the thing is about at all. Because we're not just hanging around waiting for some future date when something great finally happens and then life just sort of starts over again from there. The revelation is all actually about right now. Because you see, John knows that we're living in the ugliness between the trees. You feel it. You know it. Every single day that you're living in the middle of the ugliness between the two trees. And John's job with us, our job with everyone else around us, is to tell the story of the God who is here right now. To tell the story of the God who is breaking in and breaking through into this ugliness that we're living between the two trees. To tell the story of the God who tells us and shows us how to live right now to tell the story of faith in God that is all about living in the middle of the trees today, not just someday. How to walk out and how to live a faith that helps us make sense of life in the middle of the trees. It is our job, it is our responsibility to tell the story of the God who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to show us how to find meaning and purpose today. God's here. He's breaking through, he's breaking in, in the middle of this ugliness. And the gospel is breaking in, and the gospel is breaking through, but it's coming through us, see. We just have to avail ourselves to him. We just have to let him do it through us. And Jesus, he absolutely and certainly talks about the someday peace But much, much more central to his life and his teaching was this idea that there is this way of living that is his way and we can and we should be living his way right here and right now. In the midst of the ugliness of life between the two trees. And Pastor John, the Apostle John, the author of the Revelation, he's gonna show us that life through his Revelation. And then Journey, here's what we're gonna do. We're not just gonna store it here and go, cool, I know a little more about the book of Revelation. I feel like I've got that question answered. We're not just gonna get smarter around the book of Revelation. We're actually gonna learn something and then we're gonna go do it. We're gonna go do it. We're gonna show and we're gonna tell Jesus' life to all of the people in our world. And we're actually gonna put our arms around some people 
and we're gonna pastor them through the ugliness that is life in the middle of the trees. We're not just gonna get smarter, we're gonna do it. We're gonna walk it out. Why don't you take your stuff and set it aside? Just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and go to prayer if you would. I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and just stay in a posture of listening, communing with God. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to walk through the revelation. We're absolutely going to learn some things. But at the very end of it all, revelation is all about a call to mobilize on the redemptive mission of God. It's a call and it's an invitation to show the rest of the world how the ending impinges on the present. It's a story of how the gospel is breaking through into the ugliness of our world. Into the ugliness that is life in the middle of the trees. The ugliness that is life as middle people, which we all are. And see, the invitation of the revelation is to give yourselves first and foremost entirely to God. Every piece and every part of your heart and life. Give it to him. Don't hold anything back. Give it all to him. Even that dark broom closet of your heart that you've kept closed and locked for altogether too long now, God says, that too. All of it. Give it to me. And then... After you've given yourself entirely to him, he says, come on. It's time for you to pastor people. It's time for you to tell the story of the God who is here right now. It's time for you to tell the story of the God who is breaking in and breaking through right now. It isn't just about someday. It's time for you to tell the story of the God who shows us how to live right now. A right now kind of faith. Uh, in the middle of the trees kind of faith. Faith that actually helps us make sense of life in the middle of the trees. He says, come on. Tell the story. Tell the story of the God who loves us so much that he sent his son to earth to give us meaning and purpose. To save us from our sins, absolutely. But to give us meaning and purpose. Journey, I want right now in your mind's eye, you to imagine yourself doing that very thing. Imagine yourself telling the God story. Imagine yourself putting your arm around people and pastoring them. Who do you have your arms around? In your mind's eye, who do you have your arms around? Who are you telling the God story to in your mind's eye? Imagine yourself journey partnering with God in the greatest work going on planet Earth. 
telling the story of God, bringing the kingdom of God. And then journey, stop imagining it and go do it. Go get about it. Go make it the very crux thing of your whole life. And then imagine with me in your mind's eye how lives are going to be changed. How the world changes. Because you're partnering with God and you're telling his story to people who need his story, who need his life. And that's all fine and good, but maybe today you're a person who's here and you've never even heard of a God who is here right now, who is so very present, who is breaking through. Maybe you've never even heard of this God who loves you with the love that defines all love. You didn't know there was a God who shows you how to live right here and right now. If that's you today, why wouldn't you give your heart and life to him right now? Why wouldn't you step into life with him today? Why not allow him to break into the middle of the ugliness that is your life right now? Quit trying to do it yourself. Take your hand off the wheel and say, I've been trying, God, but this isn't working. And if that's your decision today, I just invite you in the quietness and the stillness of this moment, the quietness and stillness of your heart to confess it to him. Just say, yeah, God, I've been running from you for a long time. And today I get it. I get it today. That you love me. That I am completely unworthy of you. That I am broken before you. And Jesus, I need your forgiveness to wash over me. Forgive me, please, of all my sins. I want you, Jesus, more than I want anything else. Forgive me, please. Change me, please. I'm yours. And if you're a person who's here today who's saying yes to Jesus, you want to experience the love of God, you're turning back to God, you're asking him for forgiveness, you're asking him to make you brand new. If you're a person who's taking your hands off the wheel saying, God, I've been trying to do it, but I need you. If that's your prayer, would you just real boldly lift your hands high and just say, yep, that's me today. Yeah, right here. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. Here and there in the back, yes. And over there, yeah. All you who just raised your hand, God's breaking in right now. He's breaking through. And he says, here's my life. It isn't just about heaven someday. It's about right now. And so God, we thank you so much for those whose hearts, whose hearts you've awakened today. Awaken us more. Awaken us, God, and move us to be your storytellers. The ones who put our arms around people and who tell your story. 
who say it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did. It's all about what he's doing. And they're all connected. Jesus, awaken us. Call us out of complacency. Call us off the bench. Propel us to the playing field, God, so that the world will know you. So they'll know you the way that we know you. Awaken our hearts, please, God.